Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. So uh, I, you wouldn't expect number one. I mean, but this has kind of been the story of OKC's season to some degree. Mello, 4 of 14. Uh, Russell Westbrook was 3 out of 17. Oh, was George, like 4 out of 12. I mean, those guys combined shot under 30% in this game. And yet OKC wins because their defense has been so good. And we thought this team, you know, we thought they'd be a solid defensive team, maybe not a great one. But to overcome that terrible shooting with, you know, some of their role players was impressive to some degree but at some point these guys are gonna have to actually like start playing like there's the players that they're supposed to be on offense or this team's going nowhere they are i mean they they relied in this game also on the offensive glass i think that was an important part of this stephen adams nine offensive rebounds russell westbrook had three himself though one of those was that missed put back at the end then abrinas had the put back that ended up putting them up three and oklahoma city can you know they can have games where they will win this way but you have to think about that the caliber of opponent will ratchet up substantially with where they want to go. This is not a team that is happy to be there. This is not a team that is looking for, oh, if we just get in or, oh, if we just get the sixth seed, we're good. They want to win a title. They want to win two, three rounds at minimum. In yeah. these and they want to convince Paul George to re-sign with them. Right. And Paul George had a spectacular defensive game here. I mean, Victor Oladipo reigning, I don't usually talk about this as much, but reigning Eastern Conference. <laughs> uh, he was 9 of 26. Yeah. Wait, can we talk about how Russ had a triple-double, too, actually? I mean, between that and, and player of the week, I mean, we're really hitting all the important yeah. talking and, points And, here. I mean, but, but Victor Oladipo has played well this year, and not because those two guys were traded for each other, but Oladipo has had a nice year. And Paul George shut him down. He shut him down in this game. Oladipo was forcing some shots, was getting worse looks, had a couple of wonderful finishes. One, one kind of threw Steven Adams. Those other two kind of kind of hooked layers yeah, around. But, although that was once they went to that tactic right. with Mello, which is something we can talk about later but i think yeah it, it was uh old depot i mean we started talking about this at the end of the tour nba show but you know with this struggle by oladipo obviously being guarded by paul george that's difficult for anybody uh do you take away from that that hey you know what he's been doing is not real that he can't really get it done against the, the best defenders you know what do you make of the the fact that he struggled so badly in this one and just didn't look like he was even close to getting good shots you know this wasn't a case of missing open shots most of the day i mean there's there certainly seems to be a little of that derozan there where it's like you know that the strategy yeah. the strategy that he uses to get to get shot will not work against guys who get over screens as well as paul george does and yeah. paul george is a, a physical monster in that way and also oklahoma city has a lot of capable help defenders you know not everybody but they have capable help defenders and so oladipo is going to struggle in those matchups there fortunately for him are not that many teams that have those players and that are going to exert the energy that paul george exerted the 
defensively in this game. But yeah, I, I saw a, a fair amount of that that I would expect to be problematic against the best of the best. Well, and, and Nate McMillan changed the game with something that I wanted them to do a little bit earlier because Steven Adams was awesome in pick and roll defense, getting up to the level of the screen, taking away Oladipo's advantage, and Paul George great at getting back well, in and front. And also, Miles Turner's not a great screener, which is, which yeah. is another part of this, that he yeah. wasn't creating that separation. Yeah, and they did not play Oladipo and Simonis together that much. But then they went at Carmelo Anthony guarding Thaddeus Young instead in pick and roll. Uh, Oladipo completely abused Anthony twice on switches. Billy Donovan called timeout, changed up the coverage to go to a conventional pick and roll defense, but then Oladipo was able to get a couple of, uh, or he got one bucket on Melo and then they threw it to Young as the roll man and he scored on Melo the other time. So it was really, you know, four possessions in a row that they tried that and they scored on Carmelo Anthony uh, as the big man defender against that Oladipo pick and roll. And Carmelo Anthony is at this point in his career, at least with the effort level he put out in this game, he is an, uh, an exploitable defender. And there, since he is generally playing power forward in these lineups, that's a guy who's comfortable setting screens, comfortable with the footwork on pick and pop situations. So teams should and presumably will go towards that more often. Yeah, and this is an Indiana team too. Part of why that's so hard to guard is we said Stephen Adams stuck on Miles Turner in the corner. Miles Turner, a threat out there. Uh, and, you know, maybe you you need to start helping a little bit more if you're Adams to help out Mello and then trust everyone to close out behind you to Turner and make him make a decision on the perimeter. But with Turner, they had Boyan out there who was hot from three in this game. And then they've got another 40% three-point shooter in Collison out there. It becomes very difficult to deal with that action. And so I, I, I like the idea of going after Mello every time, like he's just some slow-footed, you know, Nikola Vucevic type of big man, which is kind of what he is at this point. I mean, he looks like he's, you know, a, a guy who's just a normal, you know, sort of athletic uh, small forward. And like, oh, you can kind of take advantage of him. He's not a good help for him. He doesn't try that much. But really just going after him one-on-one uh, is a, 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 something I think we're going to see a lot more of against OKC, is particularly because OKC is, you know, so strong ev- everywhere else defensively. One of the other elements of this game that I feel like we need to discuss is at the beginning of the second quarter. And Billy, the fourth quarter, yes. Billy Donovan went to lineups without all four of his best players. And so it was these lineups with Ray Felton, Terrence Ferguson, Josh Hustis, Patrick Patterson, and Jeremy Grant. And in the second quarter, they changed the game. They went, they, I think there were something, they went on a 9-0 run to start it, but they were positive during that stretch. And that allowed those guys to get more rest. And I thought they were fabulous. Felton was creating. And in that 9-0 run, I think in that stretch, Indiana only got up one or two shots. They were turnovers, deflections, yeah. everything like that. And that lineup, you might be like, wow, that lineup doesn't have offensive players. How'd they score nine points? It's like, well, they scored in transition to alley-oop. They had another, another, I think it was a three-pointer. Houston's actually, I think he made one or two. Yeah, yeah, quick release, uh, three-pointer. Houston's is one out of three. Yeah, uh, and, and also the takeaway that relates to that is Patrick Patterson is looking better. He had a couple of threes late in this game that ended up becoming important as the margin tightened. And Pat- he looked better defensively. I thought he, he, you know, he's getting back from that knee issue. And so it, it's good to see him there. You and I were both super high on his signing. And early in the year, it was like, oh, they needed Mello because Patterson looked like crap, but now he's doing better. Yeah, and OKC, again, suffering from offensive issues late. Now, your offense is always going to look a little bit worse when you're running the time down because you're ahead. I mean, they led, you know, by double digits with five minutes left in this game. And as it turned out, Thad Young eventually got a free throw to tie it, and they never got a chance to get back in contact uh, after that. Uh, um, Or actually, I mean, they could have, but then they turned it over uh, late when uh, Stephen Adams made a great play. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, the offense looked bad. They tried to go to that Hawk action, which is something that Ben Falk has highlighted, where they'll set a back screen, 
Carmelo for Paul George he'll come out a pin down on the other side and then Melo will go screen for Westbrook and they got something a nice pick and pop for Melo at first and then Indiana started mucking that up and the timing and the screening and the force with which OKC ran that play was off and that's when the double technicals ended up happening because Young was impeding Melo's progress but they never really had a chance to go back to that play it wasn't working because the timing was getting mucked up by Indiana just being physical yeah and and partially due to running the clock down there were a couple where OKC just was ending up with bad shots at the end of a possession and that happens and one of the I think the other important elements of this game is that Indiana basically didn't take any free throws in the first three quarters of this game they had two free throws and those were on a miles turner got fouled one the rest of it and they weren't even okc didn't even commit that many fouls they committed 12 fouls in the game i think they were at like three or four in the third quarter and then they ended up getting four free throws late which were uh boyan nailed his two because he does and that young missed one of two which ended up becoming important because that second free throw would have tied the game and uh so that was on a play that fortunately they revised it looked like it was going to be a horrible charge call instead they corrected it to a correct block call and Indiana you know that's another way that a team can get can get their bread buttered OKC was 15 of 24 the 24 is a whole lot better than the 15 of 24 but when you think about the extra possessions they were getting on the offensive glass and that massive free throw margin they were able to overcome inefficient first shot off yeah and Indiana they took free throws on only six percent of their possessions in this game which is really ugly and and OKC took free throws on 26 percent of their possessions um other stats here it was a slower paced game in part due to all the offensive rebounding uh, mm-hmm. 93 possessions but uh, okc's offense not terrible this is a bad indiana defense though um so 107.5 offensive rating for okc in this one and indiana only 95 points on 94 possessions and it really took that big flurry from oladipo attacking anthony late in the pick and roll to even get to that and there were some nice moments throughout this game for thaddeus young he battled on the offensive glass a few times for nice plays forced a ball out off stephen adams ended up five of 13 from the field but that wasn't really the best part of his game well and, th- no let, let me give you his line this sure. is insane five offensive boards and he had a bunch of other tips too that weren't and, and again this was killing carmelo uh, on the uh on the offensive glass that was his man who wasn't boxing him out uh seven steals for thaddeus young three blocks. uh and three blocks i mean and we talked about how he was just so good as a help defender and that was with having to guard carmelo anthony who in theory is a guy you're not supposed to be leaving that much i mean he had a couple of plays where he couldn't get over there but really one of the better games we've seen from him as a, a help defender um i mean to get seven steals and three blocks i mean that's a, a hell of a game from him oh and also this was a bad lance game at least yes. as as a shooter he ended up four of eight from the field but some of his misses were absolutely horrendous shots and his two three oh he only made one three. Oh yeah because the other one he has foot on the line yeah yeah um, the one at the end of the and, the and half, so yeah. i i mean it was just a lot of his four shots he was active on the defense glass which is good and had a couple of of nice passes one that looks like it was going to be a turnover but you know indiana this is the type of team that they're gonna they're gonna struggle with they're strong defenders throughout they can't generate the reliable offense but you know defensively i thought they were fine and they just they just got beat yeah I mean, it was a weird game with adams and thad young being the two best guys uh, on the floor and, and you mentioned Ad- adams had a great ball denial to force a turnover as uh okc was up three for that last attempt at oladipo inbounded the ball and and they uh, denied something else i don't have the exact stats on this but both of the indiana big men struggled finishing in the paint miles turner did have that one dunk off a dribble drive but sabonis missed two dunks turner missed a couple layups 
that that's something to kind of kind of keep in the back of your mind. Yeah, there is some there are some good rim protectors on the Oklahoma City Thunder, but the, you need to be able to make those finishes, especially because some of them were on broken defense. Yeah, and Oladipo, we talked about how awesome his jumper was. He was not really able to get open for those jumpers, but he was one and nine on threes, a further one out of five uh, on two point jumpers, and he did all of his damage essentially uh, in the paint or, or right at the rim, six out of eight, and, and much of that uh, late. Um, and then Indiana is just overall shot. I mean, neither team could hit a mid-ranger. Indiana was 7 out of 20 for mid-range. And OKC, I mean, this is all, those mid-rangers, that's all Anthony, George, and Westbrook, 4 out of 20 uh, on mid-rangers. So a combined 11 out of 30 uh, on mid-rangers for both these teams. So we're getting ready to start our second game here. And uh, we will uh, hit pause on this and get back to, you know, we'll see how long this game goes. We may just kind of get into more of a post-game show mode and do some questions and stuff uh, later on. But let's, uh, let's call this Hornets Rockets game starting right now. So do you think that this idea from Donovan of going to this all bench lineup, is, is that something that can be effective against the teams that aren't as limited on the bench as Indiana? No, because they don't, you need a theory of a lineup on both ends of the floor. And that group doesn't have enough scoring. They don't, you know, they have guys that can't shoot. They can score in transition because they have athletes and they can run, but that is predicated on defensive success. And that lineup is not undeniable defensively. They'll have games. It actually, you know, in certain ways parallels some of the problems that Golden State has had, though obviously they have better players out there. So, you know, they can go to it from time to time. But also, the other reason you stagger is because some, sometimes those players, you want to give them a chance to shine on their own or because you, maybe those players aren't as good as collaborative talent. And I would say that's broadly true with Oklahoma City. Like, I don't think Paul George, sorry, Paul George isn't even the best example. It's like necessarily like Russ and Mello. Like, I don't think those guys amplify each other as much. But if you had, even if it's ISO Mello on those second units, you're going to have a pretty decent offense and you're generally if you're going against other team second units his defensive misgivings aren't as big a deal so what did you think because you know, i think you know royce young uh, out of okc espn reporter has been pushing this narrative that uh, i mean i shouldn't say narrative that's a, that's like a loaded word these days but you know the point he's been making is hey you know what like these guys are getting good shots they're getting similar shots to what they've gotten in years past george mellow westbrook and they're not going in so what did you think of the quality of shots that those guys got obviously they had the miserable shooting performance uh, as an aggregate trio but I mean were they getting good shots and just missing them or is there more to it than that I think there is more to it than that in this game what you know overall Russell Westbrook has been missing way more mid-range shots than he normally does and he's also been missing free throws we talked about it a little bit on the 15 and 60 but he's getting three fewer points at the free throw line every game and that is some of that is attempts but some of that is also just missing free throws but in this game yeah I think Russ had a couple more contested shots it wasn't as egregious as Oladipo but he had those and Melo just wasn't really getting loose the shots where he was getting loose were his three-pointers and his three-pointer was yeah. actually falling and they are they're not hitting the threes they're getting enough threes like i think uh, in like terms that's... of quantity yeah i would agree with yeah that. um but yeah i mean if you look at, at george's shot chart from today you know he was oh five on twos outside the paint you know so five of his 14 shots were that that's not terrible and that's not that far away historically i mean but he historically has been a 40 percent mid-range shooter we haven't and seen he only that had he only had two him. shots in the restricted area that's problematic and yeah. he and he didn't 
get to the free throw line much. He had four, but not a ton. And he's never really been like that big of a guy getting right to the rim, especially and yeah. on non dunks. You know, he's not really a great finisher. But you know, two of seven on threes, and I thought that like his threes were good looks. You know, so yeah, they were, they were, and and, and so some of that I think you can you're gonna you're gonna fall back on, and that it is going to work out. But there is some trouble there just because there aren't as many guys on this team, and this is of course exacerbated by Andre Robertson, who did not play in this game due to an ankle issue. There yeah, I mean, are, how like, screwed would they have been if they had played Robertson instead of like Abrinas and and Patterson they would have as lost. much as they did? And, because because I mean, yeah. remember, Paul George. Uh, granted, you can say Paul George isn't going to defend like this every night. Paul George is a really good defender, and they didn't need a second guy in this game. It was you know right. And, yeah, and there's not a lot of teams that need that's like yeah. Now the Warriors fall into that category sure. potentially, and, and Houston. But there does. are problems that Robertson brings on that end as well. I mean the fact. Yeah, I mean I still think he's probably a negative player overall against the Warriors. Um, but yeah, I mean, so for this team, I mean, they're getting to the foul line still a, a ton. OKC is. Um, oh wait, is this last year? Yeah, this is last year. No mm-hmm. wonder it has them getting the foul line so much. I saw McDermott on there. I, I was like, that's uh, that's generally that's not not I mean, so player. coming into tonight, uh, their three point percentage twenty eighth in the NBA, only thirty four percent, and and Westbrook, of course, has really struggled as well. He's up to thirty one percent now on, on his three pointers, but um, uh, from two point range, only forty four percent for him. I'm sorry, 43% for him as well. I mean, okay. that's just, you know, not that great. And Westbrook shooting at the rim, you know, about 59%. That's not great for him. Carmelo has been really ugly. Well, and when you combine rim. that with his lower free throw attempt rates too, then that, that starts to get into some of the scoring troubles too. Yeah, I mean, and Melo at 34% on threes, I mean, I think we'll see a little bit more of that, um, him, him shooting it better. Again, not that difficult of attempts, but, uh, you know, Westbrook and Paul George. Paul George is, you know, a guy who's shot 40% reliably for mid-range he's at 36 percent this year and westbrook's at 30 percent. and then at the foul line you know i mentioned that they're fourth in free throw attempt rate last year let's see where they are this year oh man that is awful they are 19th wow I and mean, they've got steven adams who should be a high foul guy you know mellow used to be a huge foul guy and there's paul some more hot dogging by the way sorry for you dunked on fans who are listening to this i'll actually turn that off <laughs> uh because that's what this game really needs um so anything else you want to talk about uh, on this game before yes. we uh, we move on so this was also a not a return game but a, a facing the former team for DeMontis Sabonis and Sabonis part of how he did well in this game was that one of the guys who couldn't execute the old scouting report on him was Patrick Patterson who was the matchup in that second yeah. minute Sabonis was was able to get to his, you know to, to get to his Zoolander shots more yeah, with, with that right shoulder with that right that shoulder time, because yeah. that's what he does every time and so I'm, I'm sure Billy Donovan got a little bit frustrated by that but well and even the, the second time it happened uh patterson looked over at the bench and basically was like hey i tried but you know you still you didn't try hard enough i guess and then the, the last time he actually finally was able to to take it away and patterson hit two big corner three pointers that uh, you know with a quick release very aggressive shot so if they can get him going i think that'll really help and they might start even thinking about having him uh, in the closing lineup instead you know, they, you know and yeah. another thing we mentioned too was you know not taking mellow off the floor defensively we talked about that a little bit uh, earlier um all right, this is just for recording purposes. We'll take a quick break here. Not really for you Twitter NBA show listeners. And uh, we'll be right back to talk about this Charlotte-Houston game, which is already over you know, halfway through the second quarter as we record this now. 
Introducing mancrates.com, the surest way to find gifts that guys will actually love. Guaranteed. This isn't a cheese of the month club. It's not a new tie. Mancrates offers over 100 hand curated gift collections for every type of guy. Men's Health and Allure Magazine both are saying that mancrates is the perfect gift for men. Those two don't agree on anything except this, apparently. They have thousands of five star reviews, and every mancrate comes from a high five guarantee. If you don't get a high five or the emotional equivalent, when you give this gift they will make it right i got their whiskey appreciation crate with a personalized decanter and glasses for my soon-to-be father-in-law you could also get the grill master crate with a brass knuckle meat tenderizer and a cast iron smoker bots smoker box just go to mancrates.com pick the perfect crate and choose the delivery date the way to get started with them and get five percent off go to mancrates.com slash capspace that's a url and that'll just show you all the options that they have there it's just great when you're looking for gifts for the holidays go to the website and browse through there see what you can find and uh then you also get that five percent discount mancrates.com slash capspace is that url to get that five percent off and of course let them know that you came from us mancrates.com slash capspace yeah so i I mean i imagine this game is not going to get any closer i guess we'll have to re-record this if it does but uh we're not going to re-record this houston is up or we won't have to i guess you could say uh houston is up 23 right now it was a 25 to 4 run at the end of the first quarter and then it merely continued as houston went up by 26 just bombing three pointers on that charlotte backup unit um i mean i haven't (laughs) looked at that uh yeah i desperately do frequent friend of the show frank kaminsky seven minutes negative 31 <laughs> yeah and uh, uh kemba walker is uh negative six right now in a game and, and in nick 13, batum he's nick batum six in 13 minutes in a game that at this point they have only played 18 minutes nick batum and marvin williams are plus eight and they're down by 23 points with 18 minutes gone in the game I and mean, it's just that charlotte bench i mean we talked about what with zeller due to miss a scheduled six weeks i think it'll be even longer because it generally is with those meniscus injuries like they already were terrible with walker out of the game carter williams has been completely unplayable he missed another and, two and, layups tonight and the other important part of that is yeah they could stagger it a little bit more but their other players aren't good enough to make those lineups passable well i do think they need to get batum out there with the sure. second unit i mean he, and, and, and he, you know they weren't good when he was the creator last year but they've been even worse this year so and at least they have zeller as the backup uh, at least until recently you know but now without him it's got to be kaminsky at center or it's johnny o'brien or it's both of those guys together and they have just good and, and combine that with the fact that houston really has the best bench unit in the league now with chris paul at least in terms of net rating when he plays without harden they're at you know plus 23 per 100 possessions and that's only going to go up now after tonight it's going to go up a lot and so it's it's a real challenge you know and we we kind of knew this game was going to if it hadn't already turned it was going to turn at that point and that's another benefit in the regular season uh, in the playoffs too for houston having only nine guys really in their rotation and all nine of those guys being good yeah it would be nice if they you if the other players on their roster were a, more able to play in garbage time and things like that but in the immediate in that narrow term just having a rotation that has no deficiencies is really impressive so uh, the other thing that here is you know houston has only given up 29 points through 18 minutes basically in this game yeah, they're, and, trying, they're trying to make back all the, the the ground they lost in defensive rating in the game against new orleans yeah although they actually defended well in the second half of, of, they of did. that game they after did. it was 78 70 
six yeah, on, that was, on Monday. Th- that was the microcosm. Like we talk about, it's really good for a guy if he's good in the first two weeks of the season. The first half of that game was so definitive that you forget that Houston played pretty good defense in that second half. Yeah, I mean, it's 78-76 at halftime, and that's got to be the highest score by the trailing team at halftime like in, in quite some time. I can tell you since when. Oh, you looked this up? I did look this nice. up. Nice. Uh, the San Antonio Spurs in 1990-91, trail, they had scored 82 at halftime and trailed our good friends, the 19 19- Yes. 91 Denver Nuggets. Paul Westhead, Michael Adams. And it's actually been even farther back that a team scored 76 in, a, in the second half and was outscored in the second half. But it was another Spurs-Nuggets game like three years before. It was like 88, 88 Spurs against the 88 Nuggets, something like that. But yeah, I did look it up. And it was it, that 90-91 season just has a lot of those funhouse mirror games. Though I think the last three times a team had 76 and was trailing were, were that season. And I think two of the three involved the Nuggets. The other one was Spurs somehow. Yeah, so Houston defense uh, looked pretty good in this one I mean Ryan Anderson they were not able to really take advantage of him Harden was just hiding on MKG and, and helping out in the lane um and, and then just once Walker came out of the game they and Batum yeah. well, and Howard those we, are the we have guys to, we have to talk about Dwight Howard coast to coast losing his dribble but gathering and dunking like that was it was pretty Dwight good. off the dribble has been like the most effective Dwight uh, yeah this and you know so what far. hasn't been the best most effective Dwight Howard Dwight Howard from deep two he had one bad miss on I think it was Capella and then he yeah. basically hit top of the backboard against I think that one was oh yeah bad. yeah he tried to go glass and like, uh, it's, he did it's rare to get Shackton he, he tried to like, go to glass deserve a, to deserve Shackton on a play where you just took a shot but yeah yeah I mean he he tried to go glass and uh he went rubber instead because he, nice. he, he hit the side of the backboard um so I think it, the other thing on this game Charlotte through the the non-competitive portion of the game the first 18 minutes or so we're talking about one of five on threes and Houston is nine out of 18 uh, and Charlotte eight free throw attempts and Houston already 14 free throw attempts and Charlotte only has four assists as well so really just nothing and, going and also due to turnovers an eight to two margin Houston in this Houston in this has they have more threes they have more made threes than than Charlotte has attempts they have more free throws but they also have more shots from the field like it's it's a crazy that you're they're getting all this stuff I mean but that's what happens in an ass kicking <laughs> or at least this kind of ass kicking. yeah all right well so anything else you wanted to say uh, on this game before I mean there really just it wasn't even long enough for that much to happen no I frankly. mean I, I'm I'm not thankful I would have loved to have a good game but you know it is it is these can be exhausting and we had last that was last time where both games were competitive the whole way through um but you know it's it's sometimes it's good to have that little bit of a break and it it's going to be you know to see what this Houston team just does against inferior competition and yeah a lot of the inferior competition in this game was Charlotte's second unit but if they can crush those circumstances and then because we're recording this before this game is over listeners will know how long Harden and Chris Paul sat in this game because that has been one of these storylines I mean they're gonna yeah well and yeah we talked about how bad that Houston garbage time lineup is in the 15 and 60 the other day um all right you want to hit a hit a few questions here and then you know maybe we can do our our own stuff uh, as well I actually uh, Charlotte's gonna lose I had an interesting Kemba Walker trade idea that I want to talk to you about later Um, okay but first yeah let's uh let's hit some questions what do we got here's one uh is joel 
Joel Embiid the best center in the NBA? Well, you had him as first team All NBA. I did. Uh, I had Lamarcus Aldridge ahead of him. I thought it played a little bit better, and I also had him as the center. You had him as a power forward. I mean, if you're going to say the best, what criteria were you like? So, so we'll say who would we like to have for the rest of the season? You know, I think yeah, that, I think that's, that's fair. That's how we did our our, our rankings. Um, you know, I mean, we'll probably be spoiling our center rankings, but certainly he's right up there. I mean, who else is the competition? You know, I, I, he's he's certainly provides the most two-way value you know i mean and that of course is so important at the center position it is i mean i'm sure people will bring up demarcus cousins who is a fabulous offensive player and you know not the defensive player that joel Embiid is and his capacity to handle you know a greater a greater role in the offense is of value when he has those games i mean nikola Jokic is a phenomenal offensive player i would would you say i i, I think carl anthony towns has a higher offensive ceiling but i would say nikola Jokic is a better offensive player. no i wouldn't i think i think you know, or towns is better he's he's just being underutilized i mean what he that's was doing a fa- last that's year, I mean, a fair point he, he had like 60 percent true shooting and he was averaging like 26 a game last year like that's better than, than you i mean Jokic, like you know things run really well he has all these intangible benefits but like you know Jokic can be stopped i, I think you know and towns you know when he's going one-on-one you just cannot stop him and then also the shooting that he provides he's a a good transition player when he's motivated and, and um i mean I, I think like drummond has fallen off a little bit you know he's too limited i would say as well um so yeah i think it probably you probably would have to say Embiid. you know you want the only issue for him is the health and then also just the way he continues to get better every time out i mean his passing we've noted how that's improved so much this year yeah, already and, and to me best doesn't include the idea of missing time due to injuries you can say like most okay, like, okay. i wouldn't say he's the most valuable just because a he's not playing on back-to-backs which All right. is, you know that's a significant loss in value and you know just the caution with his I mean, when a big guy has his many foot issues as he's had and then the back issues so many other things that's definitely a concern uh that's an interesting question do you think there will be a lot of trades this year my instinct is no because there the the there just aren't as many like the 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 great teams know who they are and they don't have much flexibility like houston i don't think there's much they can do the warriors aren't going to do anything cleveland maybe but i don't think they're going to include the nets pick and then the lower yeah they could trade their own first round pick though uh yeah they could yeah they could and then maybe they will but because and and to be clear the reason that is because the the rule is you just have you can't not have a first round pick in back-to-back years but now that they have the brooklyn pick they owe their their own 2019 pick to the hawks from the corver trade i believe uh but they would not be without a first round pick right because they would have they would have the brooklyn pick and of Um, course the stepian rule is named after former Cavs owner ted stepian yeah yeah that's right it really applies to them in particular um so there's a a comment that yeah so one other thing i want to with that is also that a lot of the good players that are on expiring contracts you could think about demarcus cousins paul george a lot of guys here they're on teams that are good enough where i don't think they're going to be selling you know like new orleans they could trade biggie it's certainly possible but i wouldn't expect it and so yeah there could be smaller trades and things like that but for me it's like like, what about deandre you would think he's yeah uh, although they haven't lost yet with teodosic in the lineup so uh, and and the idea that if they feel like they can run it back with him because because really if you trade deandre jordan unless you get the right pieces back you're going more for you're going to be taking a step back next year and God, i'm, not I'm sure so terrified of his next contract though. oh I mean, yeah i mean i think you trade him just to get out of having to pay that next contract too you know? yeah yeah if if you and i were running the clippers we would be trading deandre jordan but if you and i were running the clippers we would have traded deandre jordan over the summer yeah and and, and not re-sign blake griffin right, and, right, yeah. and all that kind of stuff yeah so so we'll see i mean having teo 
Joe back, I think, does help them a little bit. But <clears throat> That's an interesting one. Yeah. Uh, will Houston playing too much pick and roll catch up with them in the playoffs? And, I mean, if if, te- if you can't stop their pick and roll, then no, they'll be fine. Yeah, it depends who they're playing. I mean, sure. they definitely, they don't do much. They've actually run some more imaginative stuff this year. Like, we've uh, hardened both DHO stuff off the ball. He's run more. Uh, Paul sets him up coming off the screens. They had one of those plays in the Charlotte game as well. Uh, so I, I think he's, they've do, done a little bit more stuff. They have, you know, some of those set piece plays like the Spain pick and roll set where they'll have Eric Gordon, a shooter, usually set a back screen on the screener's defender as the pick and roll takes place and then have him pop out for a three or, you know, just hopefully get a layup out of that. Um, but yeah, I think uh, it can against the absolute best defensive teams like Boston against the Warriors. I mean, where you're just like, you know, the, it can be switchable. Well, um, and, and Oklahoma City could actually take advantage of that. Yeah. Depending on some of their lineups. Yeah, it could. But I mean, too much pick and roll when the other team's center is not that good. I mean, you could also make the argument that, you know, they were a little, it fell apart against the Spurs too, but they're really a separate category with Kawhi. Danny Green can get over the screen. They can lay back their good rim protectors who are kind of immobile and force mid-range shots. Um, but Chris Paul will eat that up if they give him license to. So, yeah. um, and, and they still, of course, are always going to have shooters around them. Uh, somebody asked, does OKC ride this out or is Paul George the Cavs possible? It would be shocking to me if Cleveland ended up with the best offer for Paul George would have to involve the Brooklyn pick, but even more. Yeah. Well, I mean, but who else is going to offer anything for Paul George? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's why. But I mean, it would have to involve the Brooklyn pick and that would be a real buy now for them in the salary flotsam they would have to include in that trade because, I mean, the only really intriguing young guy they have is is Chetty. I mean, maybe Ante Zizek. I I don't know if it would have to include the Brooklyn pick. I mean, who like what offer is going to beat that? Like everyone, like nobody good enough to retain. I mean, maybe Boston makes the move. I mean, Boston could throw in anyone that Boston has like eight yeah. picks that are but, better but they're I mean if they're 500 well, but they also don't have filler salary that's an interesting interesting idea with this Boston doesn't have filler salary at all like they're not going to trade yeah. out Horford I mean I still think that like you know they had that one great win against the Warriors like this team still has somewhat of a ceiling I mean I think even you know the offers that are realistically going to be out there to me if I'm Sam Presti I'd rather just keep George around roll the dice even if you're going to go into this playoffs as the seventh seed just like yeah. try to have a great series and I like you're better off because you got Russell Westbrook for the next five years you got to still try to build around him like getting you know a first rounder and some Jetty Osmond type of guy that's not going to change your destiny just hold out for George for the 10% chance that you might you know give the Warriors or Houston a series in the first round and then we're just assuming that they continue to be really struggling the, the yeah. uh, I mean because you you know the reason that they're not good right now is their offense their defense their defense is it's where great. it needs to I mean, be so second I think so and you can always talk yourself into the idea that hey you're just these guys are who are good offensive players are just missing shots and so even if they miss shots at this rate for the entire rest of the year you still can talk yourself into the idea that they could get hot one series or two series in the playoffs and you know maybe you end up convincing yeah. George to stay after all through that I agree with you I think the process on that's good do you have a question you want to do uh you know there's just a, a mention because uh, we were talking about PJ Tucker during while we were actually doing the show and I said you know he's a liability shooting the ball and someone commented that he's shooting 40 percent he's actually shooting 37 percent from three and he's a 35 percent career three-point shooter but he's also you know a very reluctant low attempt rate three-point shooter also shoots it a lot better and more comfortably from the corners and you're also you've got a bunch of bad options right i mean if you want to say hey pj tucker you know if you want to shoot 12 three-point attempts in the or you can always just 
like, all right, we're going to not guard him. We'll help on Harden. And then we just, we got to close out. We got great athletes. If we're a Golden State to close out, we're going to make Tucker make a decision and drive, or at least, you know, get a late contest or something. But you just say, hey, we're going to start our defense by helping off of him, um, you know, especially in conventional pick and roll defense. But I do think that any team, especially the Warriors, you know, if they play against Houston, my prediction is that Zaza Pachulia will not be starting by the end of the series. Mm, yeah, I could see that. Uh, somebody asked if the if Dallas will be major players in free agency. My answer is not with the best of the best, just because LeBron and CP and Paul George wouldn't think that joining that team makes them great, and they have higher expectations of that. Yeah. But for the next level down, like DeMarcus Cousins and, and DeAndre and those type of guys, yes, absolutely. I think they, you know, if, it, if they're competing with like Indiana and Chicago and all that, they're a good situation, great ownership, great coach. City that Dallas has, Dallas has a pretty good reputation, you know, of a place that people want to be and they the having great facilities and all that. So yeah, I think they'll be, they'll be competitive for it. They just need to figure out what they want and target the right guy. Yeah. So uh, my projection right now for their cap space, not enormous. I, I project that Wesley Matthews will opt into his 18.6 million. Uh, Nerlens Noel, we can cut him off the books right now in our projection with the way he's not playing at all. They could have had full bird rights on him with an $8 million cap hold, but I doubt they would even want to pay him this much. We'll throw in uh, Seth Curry, um, probably bump up their, I haven't projected at the number 11 pick right now, but that, that'll probably be higher. So, Eight. you know, I, I'm looking at them only having about 20 million or so in functional space if Matthews opts in, which is what I expect them to do. They could maybe get a little more if they moved on from Dwight Powell. Um, J.J. Barea, they could potentially stretch Or, or they could do like a Wes Matthews where they trade him for a worse player with a better contract, that sort of thing. Like they could, they could make, like, so, so to me, the nice thing about being where they are in that is they can, they, they don't have to force it. If they, if the right player says yes, they can make it happen, but they don't need to spend money recklessly. Yeah. But there really are only about seven teams that yeah. are going to have, uh, and they're a good organization. They've got some young talent. I think a lot of it depends on how Dennis Smith plays and how much he plays the rest of the year. Um, but as of right now, you know, of the teams that could have up to that amount of cap space, there's Atlanta, Chicago, Indiana, the Lakers, Philly. That's about it as far as teams that are going to have that much space. <laughs> Uh, somebody said, what young duo would you take? Towns Wiggins, Embiid Simmons, Giannis Parker, or Brown Tatum? First of all, this is a little bit of a tease. We're going to do the best players 23 or best prospects. What, what term would you Yeah, use? yeah. Top prospects 23 and under. So this will come up in that. For me, it's Embiid and Simmons without hesitation. I, I would say so. I mean, Wiggins is, whoever you want to say is the worst of that group, probably Simmons is worse than Embiid at this point. But I mean, Simmons is better, so much better than all the rest of those second bananas that were listed there. I mean, Parker is still injured and, and is very flawed defensively. Wiggins, you know, is basically just kind of, you know, maybe like the 15th best small well, board in the league And also think right about now. what you have in those two players. You have a defensive cornerstone at the center position in Joel Embiid who has extreme offensive capabilities. And you have a primary ball handler who can create and be a, a competent team defender in Ben Simmons. You can put a galaxy of different options around those two guys. Whereas if we're talking about Tatum, let's say Tatum and Brown, 
both talented prospects, both both good players moving forward, you need a lot. You need a point guard, you need a center, and you and you need a scheme that's probably going to be switch heavy. And the Celtics have those things to their immense credit. But when you're thinking about them in the abstract, they don't get that benefit. They don't. You don't. You don't get to assume. Oh, they get to play with Kyrie Irving. No, that's not fair. You think about it in the abstract. Uh, would AD be better if he dialed down on offense and focused more on defense? And New Orleans, although part of this has been with AD out, they have really been uh, sucking wind defensively lately. I think they need him on both ends. I mean, there, I he would be better if he played more center defensively. I, th- I think that would yeah. be, but he doesn't want to, and I understand that. So I don't think the Pelicans would be better off because also you know, they don't have a lot of offensive engines. Well, just I mean, if Drew's hot, he can he can create offense, and he's had some really nice games recently. Boogie can obviously do that, and then you know, like Etwan Moore is more of a play finisher than a play creator. So I think they need a lot of that from AD, especially in transition where he's just been a demon throughout his career. How high is the Wolves' ceiling given Wiggins and Towns's uh, defensive de- deficiencies? And that, that's a very good question. I, it's a I fair like, question. I like thinking about that. I mean, uh, Towns to me is even is more of an issue at this point than Wiggins is. Um, and you know, especially at, at the big position now, I think if they switched more, that that could maybe force Towns to be more engaged. Also, not playing Carl Towns forty three minutes a game might help him be a little bit better defensively. But you know, if I think well, and, the, and yeah. remember, I talked about this a little bit in the fifteen and sixty. Their defense has been pretty stout with their starting five. You know, like they're because that lineup has Jimmy Butler and Taj Gibson, who are both very good defenders. I think it's the defensive ratings are on like 102, 103, something in that range. It's been every other combination that's been bad. And when you think about their bench defenders, broadly are bad, bad defenders. You know, Jamal Crawford. I mean, Jang has had his moments, but he's been to me, he's been worse defensively this year than in other years. It's hard to tell, but I mean, I think he's been a little bit worse. Yeah, and, and, and you know, part of it too is just the lack of flexibility now. Yeah. That they have and this was their last chance this year and you know they went with Gibson but once Towns gets his extension they're not going to be able to replace it Wiggins is getting the max of course Butler will need to be re-signed uh, a year and a half from now so you know you would have to say yeah you know they don't have really the foundation of an, an average defense right now Tom Thibodeau has not shown the ability to a sign good bench guys and b get anything out of those bench guys especially defensively so yeah I think it's a major issue I mean I think this is a team that it could be a top five offense now i mean part of the problem too is that tibbs is emphasizing as to the extent he can with taj gibson you know a more defensive oriented too big lineup and so you know yeah they're they're doing well to be as good as they are offensively you know kind of you know in the seven or eight or six range most of the year but if they're going to not be that good defensively then they're not going to reach the stratosphere with the lack of space and they have they've done well with the individual talent to even get to the level that they're at right now um but, you know, I also think when you talk about the, their defensive deficiencies, one of the main things that's the problem is transition. And that's something that could be cleaned up in theory yeah. with being in better shape, with playing fewer minutes, potentially, you know, now is Tom Thibodeau and the it, coach and it's for not that? Like they're a, that's the it's question. not like they're a dominant offensive rebound team or like that that, that yeah. trade-off is at a point where they have to choose it the way that they have. I think that's an, that is a good point. That's a good question. I think we've been asked this before, but it's been a while. Well, well hold on, hold on. We didn't really answer okay. the question, though. How high is their ceiling? as a team I mean have you because I think no no not even defense but like just as a team you know where are they going to top out are they could they get to a conference finals yes with this nucleus yes even when you consider the defensive division yes I am skeptical I do not think that they can well I mean so are we so then do we we price in that they're in this stacked western conference because I mean yeah yeah yeah. I mean of course that uh I think they could I wouldn't expect it I would say the most likely is like a tough second round out that sort of a thing but they 
could. I mean, they're, they're, with the incandescent offensive players they have, I mean, you don't need that much to, to get a, like one or two extra wins on the margins. I think. Well, I mean, but so think about the incandescent offensive players. Like Jimmy Butler is going to start declining soon enough. You know, yeah, I'm, I'm not a I'm, believer. My thought is this would be next year. You know, uh, yeah, w- Wiggins to me is, you know, you know uh, more of, you know, kind of a candle than, uh, than incandescent. I don't know what a lower grade of incandescent would be. So it's really Towns is the guy. And I think Towns is being really like, underutilized at this point. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Okay. Well, yeah. What was that next question? Sorry. So it was, if you were... Well, actually, here, let's let's do a read first, actually. Okay, that's uh, good. And uh, then we'll do a, a couple more questions here, and I can bring up my uh, my trade idea as well. It, I actually kept in my mind there was a question to lead in with. Uh, all right. So what, what is it? Oh, you want to do that now? Um, yeah, so, we just, so, we just so the did question. the commercial. The yeah. commercial is over now. So, so the question was, what are some plus players on bad teams that could go to playoff teams? And one of those, I mean, Charlotte might not be considered a bad team, but they're, I mean, they're, I would say it's and more they're about to be not 10 and 17. So yeah. I remember when I was in law school, couldn't really afford what I thought was an amazing suit. As far as I knew, amazing suits cost like a thousand dollars. And so I, I went to like men's warehouse and got like some suit that was off the rack and they purported to tailor it and they didn't really do a good job. And it was a tent on me. And fortunately, because I'm old back then, having your suit look like a tent wasn't a problem. But now, of course, style has gotten a lot saner and you need something that actually fits you well and as that when i was a lawyer i started to at least get enough money to get a decent suit i was going to court all the time and so i was like all right now i'm gonna really get something that's gonna be great i'll go to the department store i'm gonna drop like a thousand bucks like this is gonna be great you know, I, I got like a, a gift a few years ago for some really nice suits and you know i picked it out off the rack they're like oh yeah three four weeks we'll tailor it it'll, it'll fit great guess what it didn't it did not fit great and i learned once i was associated with indochino just how much better a made-to-measure suit fits compared to a generic off-the-rack suit indochino are my favorite suits they fit me the best and you also can customize it to your exact measurements they have a guide on their website or you can go into one of their north american showrooms i think they have eight or nine of them now including vancouver boston san francisco new york and get measured you can customize the details your lapel size jacket lining single breasted double breasted monogram and more you place your order and it comes in just a few weeks really not much longer if any longer than it would take you at a store to get it tailored and of course it's going to fit much better this week my listeners can get any premium indochino suit for just 359 dollars at indochino.com when entering that familiar cap space code at checkout that's 50 percent off the regular price for a made to measure premium suit shipping is free that's indochino.com promo code cap space any premium suit just 359 and free shipping it's an incredible deal for a suit that is going to fit you better than anything off the rack ever could indochino.com promo code cap space um yeah so this is my Kemba Walker idea and it came to me as I was watching last night I think that he actually uh, and he's from New York obviously too I think he would be a reasonable fit with the Knicks and so but oh, he'd be a wonderful fit with the Knicks yeah and we've talked about this before but to explain why I think it is that Walker could and maybe should be traded the new extension rules uh, are useful but he's probably not going to make an all-nba team especially well, if and if, bad he, and if he makes an all-nba team I don't think you want to give him that designated veteran extension. of course of course but I mean that that wouldn't enter in with them they're just you sure. know, uh, and and if he makes the all nba team it means they actually were good this year which they're not going to be so um but for him so he's only making about 12 million this year so that means that the most they can pay him is a contract starting at 120 percent of his prior salary that will not be enough to interest him in ex- extension so he will have to in fact reach free agency in the summer of 2019 more teams project to have cap space at that point he'll be 28 29 something like that and so not only are you not going anywhere right now not only do you not really have any 
prospects for getting better but you can't prevent him from reaching free agency it's a great recipe to lose him and so i think they should try and to move him. and it doesn't look like they're going to be great next year i mean they, yeah. they could be better than they are and that's the same thing we said last year when we were both kind of high on their ceiling and, yeah. and, and it, we might have just been high actually when we, when we thought that they're that they're gonna be good <laughs> uh because that did not turn out to be the case although they did have a pretty decent fundamentals statistically yeah when um, and they got hurt in those games when kemba didn't play and if they didn't if they weren't so snake bit against the well, wolves, yeah, and when zeller didn't play too yeah, yeah. and so so like yeah i, I think i think it, it would be right for them to trade him before the deadline this year i think you know especially because then a team is getting a, a season and a season and a third of value plus two playoffs is a real value that might not be as relevant for the knicks because i think even with kemba if they got him in february that might be a tough we'll see where the, we'll see where the east is at that point orlando falling off does make it you know it narrows the path a little bit but i think he would be a wonderful fit for them offensively defensively i mean wonderful pick and roll player adds a jump shooting element and the the one of the problems with it is just that the knicks don't have a ton of filler salary because they just have all these bad contracts on their book yeah well so i think you know it, it, this is my thinking of what the package should be right so i mean it's going to be it would be centered around one of two things probably not both because like, for the knicks i mean this is more of a chance to like get a little bit better but you're Kemba walker's not going to put you over the top i mean he's a guy who could get you into the playoffs this year if they can hang around until the trade deadline which is a, an open question they've had a very home heavy schedule i think they are like two and eight on the road and 13 and five at home so they got a lot of road games coming up here but assume they can hang around until around the trade deadline you know it would be sort of more of a short-term move contend get back into the you know maybe the middle of the east playoff mix um and hopefully do it for at a price that's not going to totally compromise whatever future you believe now they're not tanking this year we thought they were going to be really bad that seems uh, unlikely unless they really fall off or chris Stapps misses time or gets shut down for this elbow injury that he's playing through once they're out of it um so the idea would be you can kind of do it on the cheap and so the question is if you're the knicks would you trade i think one it would be either this year's first round pick or oh, neil Aquino th- that it would be built around so would you be willing to part with neil Aquino in a deal for cumber walker so basically it's kind of a, a two year <sighs> a year and a half but they they could look to resign him and it could yeah be yeah they, they might and, be able to get would, him and, for and they would have the advantage with bird rights that doesn't necessarily mean you're maxing him out you just have the ability yes. to pay him and the knicks by that point they can have spent out their money and of course the luxury tax is no big deal so i would consider it especially when you consider that the, a lot of the salary filler that would need to be in that might not be advantageous for them so if it's like frank and you're getting out of at least somebody who's not a huge like positive to fill that money because they don't have it i, I would consider yeah it. so you would probably have to move on from like a lance thomas i mean you're not going to get off of noah no with that contract no, um no. Now, I mean, maybe I mean, maybe the maybe thought would be Ennis this. Canner in that trade. Yeah, I mean, maybe the thought would be this: that if you can find a way, and I, let me look more closely at, at what the situation is here. But if you could find a way to not only acquire Walker but also open up cap space for this summer, then maybe you say, "Well, it's worth kind of going all in here. We'll give up Frank. We'll give up another first rounder. We can give you Noah as well, and we can get there." I mean, as it stands and, right and, and now, because and this is a, a, a free. Well, here, well, yeah let, let me finish with, with sure. saying what, what their uh, their situation is so as it stands right now they i project them to be three million uh, over the cap i guess you can get rid of kuzminskis because he's got waived so they're basically going to be right at the cap um they'll have their own first round pick you take that off the books now uh, you've got five million in space if you could move on from either noah or Cantor, each making about 17 million this year now you're at 22 million and maybe you can actually get a, a real player so you've got walker you've got porzingis you still got 
got plenty at the center position and you know maybe you can pick up a, another wing uh, you're not quite in paul george territory you'd need to get to 30 million for that but you could even maybe stretch someone to, to get there george probably doesn't want to go there but you'd have to look at, at getting into the wing market because that's yeah. what they so desperately need a three man they have no three yeah and, and the, but the problem is this is not a strong three free agency i mean no no it isn't it, um, i mean it's a strong two but courtney lee you know isn't necessarily part of their long-term solution i think the part of this that makes me uncomfortable well, what if what if they could get uh you know danny green or uh trevor ariza or someone someone like that or bring back trevor ariza yeah um i, I, I mean so, danny so green me, is so really me, the only one the concern so so what you're thinking about here is the idea of when you're like the timetable of contention and when you're going to be christoph's porzingis is 22 right now correct i mean i think that you're just jumping the gun a little bit and yeah. you can take your lumps for another couple of years and if you could get somebody who had more team control or who was a little bit younger because let's say it takes them like if they wouldn't figure it out this year obviously so then you're you're starting to bet on like a 28 29 year old Kemba Walker as Porzingis is going into his prime and then you're going to have to commit to Kemba Walker long term I think that it would make the Knicks a more fun team it would make them more competitive now but they should just be more patient they won't <laughs> be more patient but they should be more patient like that that I yeah. think I uh, if I were the GM it is not what I would do but it is close enough that I think they they will consider it and they should consider it you know like it's it's yeah. kind of like that's it's more that that element of it than anything else yeah and, and you know there's been noise of course that Porzingis I mean the problem though is that now with Porzingis potentially getting an extension I mean I don't know that they can really get into much space in 2019 and then it's just like hey how the hell are we ever going to build around this guy yeah what yeah what so with Porzingis do you you have the sheet in front of you because he's so he has yeah that's next year that yeah. he's he's extensional yeah so I, I mean the, they would have about 16 million in space but that would decline probably to you know about 8 million as of right now in 2019 space and that's assuming they sign nobody else between now and then so you really are not going to be able to build around him in 2019 that's why the Hardaway contract we thought was so ruinous right yeah and everything they did in 2016 all right well that's probably enough for today let's take one more rando question here before we uh before we move on and uh call it quits for tonight oh so that question i saw before was if if we were nba players what coach would you most want to play for oh well because i would be absolutely dead bang nailed at the end of the bench for any other coach except for steve kerr who uses the entire roster probably him well so for me but yeah it would be it would depend it would depend on skill set to a point like as if i worked within the warriors system of ball and player movement be that i i think just because i think of myself as presumably in these situations being a more limited defender i would i think playing in brad stevens you know that mm-hmm. would be that would be in, enjoyable as well like the way that that all of his offensive players are empowered and on the celtics right now there isn't as a, a, a truly ball dominant guy in the same like the, it's a different alignment than the warriors have he does trust his bench as well he's willing to go to different guys if it works and and kerr you know he will he will play everybody but he does get you know he's kind of conservative and I'm, maybe it's me thinking of myself as a smaller guy because i am that that he you know playing traditional centers going with going with the, his guys until until after it's basically been proven it doesn't work i think i'd go stevens i don't think i'd be good enough to play for popovich because you just yell at me all the time yeah well i mean if you're a pick and roll point guard you want to play for d'antoni and you probably don't want to play for kerr yeah oh absolutely if you're a pick yeah. and roll if you're yeah if you're a pick and roll anything you want to play for d'antoni yeah yeah i mean and if you That's, like okay here's an interesting question like because i i think clint capella like if you're clint capella of those situations you'd want to play for d'antoni right oh yeah certainly yeah yeah all right that was a good one to end on uh, thanks so much uh for watching slash uh listening and uh we will talk 
talk to y'all tomorrow night we'll have the uh the long-awaited top prospects 23 and under looking forward to doing that one till then listening to your favorite podcast that's smart earning your degree online from southern new hampshire university that's really smart with 24 7 access to coursework no set class times and dedicated student support you can go to school when and where it works for you low online tuition means you can even do it for less and dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application.